0: This morning we're going to be continuing our study through Mark. And we're going to be looking at a a profound statement that is made. We're going to go through Mark and we're going to jump over to Matthew to continue in Mark. It's going to be the same story, just a few more details. See if we can get maybe the full context of what's going on. But I have a question for you this morning as we, we just dive right in. What if Jesus' miracles have been leading up to a greater teaching? What if the miracles that Jesus has been performing have been leading up to something bigger? I mean, it's really not that, that far of a stretch that Jesus would use miracles to teach something. But what if we're looking at a progression? See, I, I, think, I think we are. I think Jesus is trying to show the disciples something. And so we're going to do a little recap Okay, we're kind of going to look at where we've been so far. all right? So Jesus, he feeds the 5,000, right? He feeds the 5,000. Of course, the numbers are, are probably way more than that, but that's what they mentioned. And here's the thing. This miracle is performed among the Jews. It's, it's in the Galilee. It's on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It, it's home turf. But, and there's all these things that, that show maybe that Jesus is kind of showing something, right? There's all these numbers, right? numbers of, of how many loaves and how many fish and there's 12 baskets left over and all these things just kind of teaching something that that Jesus is enough for the Jews. He is in more than enough, right? But then Jesus goes, he goes off to Tyre and Sidon and he encounters a Syrophoenician woman. And you would think, you know, he's going out kind of in the middle of nowhere to rest, but he encounters this Gentile woman who has incredible faith. In fact, Jesus, he points us out to the disciples. He's like, you see this, guys? You, you don't see this often. And this is, this is a Gentile woman. And she, she knew that Jesus was enough. In fact, she even proclaimed that Jesus, even if it's just the scraps, even if it's just the, the little bits left over that I get from you, I know it's enough. I know that it's more than enough. Then last week, we took... Well, Chris, you really bumped me up there, didn't you? I feel like I projected there. Last week, Jesus—we looked at how Jesus fed the five, uh, four thousand. Excuse me. Jeff went over this, and and we saw where he went. He was this time. He was on the east side of the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. He was in the Decapolis, and this is Gentile territory. This is not home turf. In fact, the disciples were probably getting a little uncomfortable as they were headed over there. But he feeds 4,000. Again, there's all this kind of numerology and things to indicate that Jesus, he's the bread of life. And he is more than enough. He is more than enough even for the Gentiles. I believe that Jesus is trying to show the disciples something. And I think if we look closely, we'll see it too. He's building up to something. But the disciples don't seem to quite be getting it. In fact, if you remember last week when we looked at it. Jesus had this discussion with them because they they thought they forgot bread, and Jesus was mad at them because they forgot bread. And he's like, guys, are you still talking about bread? Is that really what we're talking about? Don't you remember how many baskets were left over when I fed the 5,000? And they're like, yeah, 12. He's like, and don't you remember how many baskets were left over when I fed the 4,000? They're like, yeah, seven. He's like, and you still don't understand? You still don't get it? You have eyes but can't see and ears but can't hear? So the disciples don't quite get it. In fact, I think, I think that Jesus is about to perform a little miracle to kind of, kind of show them that they're not quite seeing everything clearly. So let's move forward here in Mark 8, verses 22 through 26. It says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now, I don't know about you, but I think when it says the man saw everything clearly, I think it really means he saw everything clearly. He saw Jesus clearly. And he saw Jesus for who he was. And later on, I think the disciples are going to see that too. But here's the thing. I may be just overthinking this. But do you really think it took Jesus two times to touch this guy to heal him? Like, was he just tired from all the walking they did, maybe, right? Or maybe his, I don't know, spiritual energy was drained from feeding 4,000 people. And it took two times? No, I don't believe that. I believe he's looking at his disciples and he he, he touches the guy and he's like, oh man, I can kind of see, but I'm, I mean, it's still kind of blurry. And he's probably looking at the disciples like, this is, this is y'all guys. This is you. Okay. he touches the man again and he sees clearly. See, I think that Jesus is taking the disciples on a journey. And not just a a, a spiritual journey, an actual physical journey. Over the course of a a chapter, basically, you know, these past several verses, they have traveled weeks' worth of time. They started in home turf, right, Galilee, went up to Tyre and Sidon, then went down to the Decapolis, and now they're headed up to a place. A very evil place. Jesus is taking the disciples on a journey and he is patient with them. He is very patient with them. He, he is giving them time to, to help them change who they are. He's showing them, Jesus is showing them that he is enough. That he is enough. And he is giving them this opportunity. This, this time, this, he's being so patient with them, giving that time to come to grips with this. And before we move on, I want to talk a little bit about where Jesus is taking the disciples. Okay, so now, now we're, we're headed up. He's taking them to a place that would be very uncomfortable for a Jew to go. I mean, like, you wouldn't catch them there at all. He's taking them to Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me give you some context here. It's northeast of the Galilee. So if you have one of those maps in your Bible, you can go look at it. It's probably in there. Northeast of the Galilee. And there's really two important details that you need to know about this place. One, there was a major temple complex that was devoted to the god Pan carved into the side of a cliff. It's huge. It's it's obviously not in use today, but it is there today. There's a huge archaeological site there. The second thing is that there was a natural spring that flowed out of the rock face. The waters are still there today. Okay? Now keep those two things in mind. In fact, this, this temple complex, and I want you to understand something about this, this place. It normally was a run-of-the-mill place. I mean, you know, pagan worship, but, you know, normally run-of-the-mill stuff. But once a year... Once a year, they would have a festival where it was estimated that hundreds of thousands of people would come to. The name of that festival was Pandemonium. It's where we get our word from. And let me tell you, it was exactly that. It made Mardi Gras in New Orleans look like child's play. I'm not kidding you. You can go research it, look it up. It's sometimes graphic, just so you know. Ray Vonderland has a, a teaching on it, uh, on the early church. Um, you can you can research it, but this where we get our word for pandemonium is because of this festival that took place. This is like the heart of evil, as we would even see it today. And this is where Jesus takes them. And now that we know this, let's jump over to Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew 16, starting in verse 13 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked two very important and personal questions. Basically, he says, what do others think about me? We could play that game today, couldn't we? What do others think about me? I mean, I know what all you think. What about people outside these walls? uh, I mean, his teachings were good, but I don't really believe in that God thing. You know, some people think Jesus is evil. I mean, there's that. Some people just don't believe in God. Some people wouldn't even know who he is. But Jesus asked another question. And it's a question we all have to answer. What do you think about me? What about you? He's very pointed to the disciples. What do you think about me? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, good old Peter, Simon Peter, he's always one to step up and say something. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Amen, right? Amen. Amen. Not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. That's why I think that guy earlier would have healed him. His eyes and he saw clearly. He told him, he's like, hey, don't go in the village. Don't tell nobody. Because they finally, he saw who Jesus was. And now that the disciples see that, he's like, hey, just hold up. It's, It's good news, right? But just hold up. We see in this passage that Simon declares that Jesus is the son of the living God. And that is... That is the truest of true statements, right? That there is nothing greater, in my opinion, than that proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But there is some interesting things when you look at the language that goes on here. Because Jesus gives Simon the name Petrus, which means pebble. It means pebble. And then Jesus declares... That on this Petra, he will build his church, and even the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, Petra, remember, Petras means pebble, little rock, pebble. Petra literally literally translates, translates to cliff face or bedrock. Now, where did I say they were at? Now, now here's the thing. I, I think if you, if you want to believe that, that Peter, a lot of people believe that Peter is, is the rock that Jesus was talking about. That he was the one that you know, built the church. And here's the thing. If you want to believe that, honestly, it's fine. I mean, Peter was like the head of the church when, when Jesus you know, moved up into heaven. I mean, he led the church. Uh, there's a lot of people that believe that. And and many people believe that the profession that Peter made, the profession that he made was the rock that Jesus was talking about. And, hey, that's absolutely true. I mean, like I said, that is the truest of true statements. He, He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. He is our King. That is true. And that is a rock to stand on. But wouldn't it be neat? And this is what I believe. That if Jesus has his disciples right there, and he says, Peter, you're absolutely true. And guess what? Even on this rock, I will build my church. And do you all happen to know what the name of that water spring that came up out of the ground? that The Gentiles, you know, people then, they didn't know where the water sources came from. It was just gushing forth out of the ground. You know what they called it? The gates of Hades. That was the name of the place. Now again, you you don't have to believe that. But here's the deal. Wouldn't it be neat if Jesus was making a point to his disciples? Peter, you're absolutely right. And here's the deal. When I build my kingdom, it will be everywhere. Everywhere. It will be everywhere. Listen, you'll find it on the Temple Mount. It'll be there. Hey, it's going to be in your synagogues in your hometown, right? I'll be there. I'm enough for the Jews. But you will find me everywhere, even in the most desperate places. Even in the worst of the worst. I will be there. I will be there to help those in need. I can imagine the disciples hearing this and saying, Wait, Jesus, even here? It, even in this place? I mean, for us, it would be like modern day Mecca. I don't know if you all know what Mecca is, but it's like the holy place for the, for the Islamic people. It's like there they have a huge deal every year, millions of people. I mean, this is like Jesus would be standing there and it's like, Hey, even here even here my church will be built. And listen, I can tell you this, because this this is amazing. This is incredible news. Okay? I I can tell you, from being on uh, these these trips with these students, like Infuge, that you will find God in the dirtiest and lowest of places. In places that you would just think that are Lost completely. Yet you find people devoted to God and reaching out to people in need. How many of you... I say, where's Elliot? There he is. Hey, they holding church down there in Nicaragua? You better believe it. You go on a mountainside, middle of nowhere, they're holding church. All across our nation today, we hold church. But I guarantee you there is some place in the middle of Asia where they can't profess God out loud and just out in front of everyone, they're in somebody's basement holding church. See, here is the thing, church, and I want us to understand. The good news is that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is everything. But you know what's great about the good news What's great about the good news, it is for everyone, everywhere. Everyone, everywhere. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter what's going on, what the circumstances are. Jesus will meet you right where you are. And here's the thing, church. We've got to be like that too. Come on here's the deal, I've seen a lot of Christians I'm stepping on toes, it's not me, okay, it's God I've seen a lot of Christians say, that's just a lost place Those people, there's no saving them That's not your call to make We're to be like Jesus And we're to go Anywhere and everywhere to proclaim His name the good news is good for you, it's good for everyone. And people need to hear it. People need to see it. And I promise you, I promise you, that even in the darkest of places, even in the desperate, most desperate of times, there is still hope. And God is still there. And He is still moving, even when it seems He isn't. And that is something we can stand on, church. Do you want to believe Peter's a rock? That's fine. The, the profession that he makes is a rock, that's fine. I think it's all true. I think all that's true. And that God will move anywhere he wants to. Any way he wants to. For everyone and anyone he wants to. Amen, church?